Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a global law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We also connect domestic and international law firms for international legal issues. At ALRPRA, we help manage our clients' business. Uh-oh. Hello? And credentialing. I'm going to mute some people here. Um, law, again, uh, our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today, our guests are first Corey Chalmers. He's the CEO and founder of Crime Scene Steric Clean LLC, and he has over 15 years of experience in the biohazard remediation industry. Mr. Chalmers' work and experience in assisting over 1,000 hoarding cases earned him a regular expert position on the A&E series, Hoarders, but he's also been recognized by the U.S. Senate and the California State Assembly. A link to his organization is www.steric clean.com which is s t e r i hyphen c l e a n.com also today we have dr francis walfish who is an acclaimed beverly hills child and family psychotherapist and author of the self-aware parent resolving conflict and building a better bond with your child a frequent guest on top-tier TV programs and often appearing in major publication, Dr. Fran leads the field with her expert insights. Today's, uh, during today's broadcast, Dr. Fran will talk a little bit about hoarding as being one of the behaviors of this obsessive-compulsive spectrum. Please see Dr. Fran's bio on our show uh, promotional page for more information. We do welcome callers during this program, and we invite them to also submit their questions directly by email at nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R. PRA.com with Law Talk Radio in the subject line, or please call by dialing into area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is area code 917-889-9732, option 1 to be placed in the queue. Now, when calling in, please be kind and mute your phone while you're waiting to make a comment so that we can avoid background noise. Before we get going, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and the results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. Also, this programming is politically neutral and objective. Counterparts to the views expressed on our show are always welcome. Finally, ALRPRA Incorporated does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests. Callers do remain confidential, and rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Now, today, we are going to be talking about the issues that are affecting uh, people in the area of uh, those who are helping and those who are working with hoarders. Again, the A&E series, Hoarders, and TLC's Buried Alive, both help make this behavioral term a household name. Recently, hoarding has been highlighted in the media and is appearing in legal cases where citizens and agencies take action, sometimes to the benefit and other times to the detriment of those accused of excessively acquiring and failing to discard possessions. Corey Chalmers is an experienced biohazard remediation professional who will share his experiences with alleged hoarding cases. Dr. Friend Walfish is a psychologist who will talk about the mental health concerns associated with hoarding behavior. So, as we get going, I'd like to both uh, say hello to Corey Chalmers and Dr. Walfish. 
Hello. Hi, Nick. Hi, Corey. Hello. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, both of you, for being on the program today. If we could just start first with uh, with Dr. Walfish, if she could share a, a little bit of the background on what is hoarding. When did this uh, come about as, uh, as something that we're thinking about in um, in mental health? And then we'll talk a little bit more to Corey about what he's seen in his experiences. So first, Dr. Walfish, what is hoarding? Well, um, most of your listeners have watched Corey's show and know that hoarding is collecting things, objects, all variations of things that provide meaning and comfort to the collector. And I am an expert with children and families, and the research that I've done has been actually in the lab of my psychotherapy office in Beverly Hills, where I've observed hundreds to thousands of children who begin with some sort of obsessive-compulsive trait. And let me share with your listeners how it begins and then what it becomes for the adult. It, this may shock a lot of your listeners, but it begins somewhere between the ages of 18 months and four years old. It's very, very early in its origin. And what happens is the child is raised in an environment, which usually means in the family constellation, the family home, that that creates too high of a level of anxiety for the child to manage. And young children are not consciously aware. They're not thinking about oh, my God, my parents are fighting and it's making me nervous and anxious and uncomfortable, all they know is uh, something makes them antsy. That antsiness is an anxiety. And there are really two ways that children can go. They either feel very sad and collapse into a depressed state, retreat into themselves, or they try to control their environment by organizing it. And all of us have seen children or young adults and even grown-ups who try to control their environment by being supreme organizers. Young children will line up toys or draw pictures where they line up perhaps flowers in patterns and designs in colors and shapes and height so that they provide a sense of comfort to the child who is trying to over control and manage the level of internal anxiety. And what happens is it's very much like a pacifier with the young child. The collecting things and lining those things up provide a sense of comfort, soothing, and security to the child because he or she is living with a family that cannot talk about 
the anxiety and feelings and provide the comfort through the use of language and physical affection. So the parents miss it and the child tries to take hold of the anxiety. What happens is later in life, some of these children grow up to either continue to collect and try to keep things surrounding and around them as a an extended pacifier, or I should say and or, some of them actually try to control people. And you and I have met them all somewhere in show business and in other areas of business. Certainly. Where, you know, they they feel that things have to go their way in order to keep the level of anxiety inside with a lid on it. Does this make sense to you? It does. And the thing that I think about when you say people in the entertainment industry and world, the first thing I think about is um, some of the talent and, and bands and people I've worked with before um, have some of those behaviors. I don't I don't know that they're necessarily OCD or approaching that. Can, you, can I ask you, now this is, is this a tried, tested, and true theory, um, or are there other competing theories in, in the School of Psychology where people are kind of considering um, the behaviors of hoarding and obsessive-compulsive disorder? I'm sure there are other conflicting theories. Um, <clears throat> there are on everything, every topic, and there are conflicting ideas of how to treat it, um, which I'm sure Corey will be able to address as well. But one of the popular ways of treating um, hoarders or people who display something on the obsessive-compulsive spectrum is through um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or, or um, cognitive behavior modification, and uh, that can be very helpful. What I try to do is a modified version of the behavioral therapy that also really addresses verbalizing and talking with people about their feelings and what are they feeling when they're collecting and what are they maybe worried about or anxious about where um, uh, the collecting and hoarding is a way of not dealing directly with emotions and powerful feelings. Now, what here's a follow-up question. When they're exhibiting the behaviors of hoarding, are are these individuals neat people? Are they messy people? Are there any consist or is it all over the spectrum? Are there cons certain consistencies? I think uh well there are certain certain internal consistencies, but I think on the outside, it, it can look all over the spectrum. That's my experience with it. First, let me share with the listeners so that everyone understands none of us are perfect beings, and it's impossible to uh, be perfect or even, God forbid, strive for perfection or we're setting ourselves up for a huge letdown. Um, I want to share that all of us have some obsessive-compulsive traits. Um, the key is how much it impacts our, our functioning in our life. And I know for me, um, in my 
home, I keep my office extremely neat and organized, but in my home I'm doing many, many projects, and I have um, piles of papers of projects I'm still working on. They're not finished. They're not filed. And someone could come in and say, uh, you have a, a bit of a hoarding problem. So I think it's important to recognize that all of us have some of it. But when it interferes with functioning is when there's a problem. Now, the, the people on television that go on the show, um, Corey, I turn to you to address that, but I think they look messy. They don't look very neat. But on on the other hand, I worked with a little girl who came to me when she was five years old, and she stayed with me until she was almost nine years old in therapy. She was the daughter of two physicians. Both parents were highly organized on the outside and extremely controlling people. They didn't know how to address the child's feelings. And that little girl, um, uh, as sweet as she is, evolved in her early years into a supreme organizer. And so those people grow up to be excellent um, scientists, surgeons, anesthesiologists, physicians, engineers, um, but their people skills are somewhat limited. Very interesting comments. Corey, let me ask you quickly what your experience was when you started uh, working uh, around and with people um, who have been classified as hoarders. Have your experiences mirrored uh, much of uh, what, what, what we're hearing from uh, Dr. Walfish? Well, they do, but, you know, I started working with hoarders about 16 years ago now, so when, when I started, no one knew what a hoarder was. They were just pack rats. They were the crazy cat ladies, all the other slang terms that we had for them. So we kind of grew with them, learned with them. You know, there wasn't anyone to go and ask questions for. Um, and they are all over the place. What we see, though, the majority of what we see is that they're very brilliant people, like she was just saying. You know, hoarders are very, very smart people, um, people like Albert Einstein. You know, they're brilliant. They just can't really channel their... Um, smarts in the right way sometimes. So that's why these people get in fights with cities. They're able to take on code enforcement, lawyers, and everything else and challenge them in the court system for, for years sometimes. They're also, um, from what we see, I would say at least 80 to 90% of them suffer from depression. Now, whether that's post-depression from the hoarding or before the hoarding, you know, that's another story. But most of them that we talk to suffered depression, and that's what triggered the hoarding. That could be post-traumatic stress from, you know, a death of a loved one, a divorce, uh, loss of a child, even as simple as a child moving away to college. Uh, so there is a lot of reasons that people do start to hoard things, but we do notice that, the, that depression is a big key in it. Let me also ask you, Corey, uh, based on, on Dr. Walfish's statements, that some some manifest as uh, as messy, some are clean. What have you seen in your experience? Oh, definitely. We go to some houses that are absolutely spotless from dirt. They're completely cluttered, but they're not dirty at all. And then we go to other ones where they're just completely filthy. They could have, you know, two feet high of, of animal waste in it, human waste. They haven't, you know, touched any cleaning supplies in, in 10 or 20 years. And I think a lot of it has to do with the length of the hoarding situation as well, because you can't keep a hoarded house 
you know, completely clean for too long. But we have seen houses that were, you know, hoarded for five, six, seven years that were relatively spotless otherwise, besides the clutter, which is amazing. It's an amazing feat, really. Very interesting. We're going to pause for a quick commercial break, and then we will be back with more of our guests and information as we explore the behavior come to be known as hoarding. Again, in our first segment, we talked a little bit about what is hoarding behavior. In our second segment, we'll address being stuck in the home and some of the experiences that uh, people have seen you know, through Corey uh, and also through other people. We'll also take some callers. In our third section, we'll talk about uh, animal and pet hoarding, which has been uh, in the news and in many lawsuits recently. Uh, I, I know that when I was going through last night looking for lawsuits, there are, if you search for uh, a, a pet hoarding uh, law, uh, there are so many results, and we actually have an attorney from New York who might uh, stop by and, and say hello as well. So, And then for our final uh, segment today, we're going to, again, talk a little bit about the need for education and talk about making sure that we're not improperly diagnosing or labeling uh, people because of the potential damage there, and we look forward forward to uh, some information, again, from Dr. Dr. Walfish. So, pausing now quickly, our first commercial sponsor break comes from the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Your business may be exposed to liability if your marketing materials and slogans infringe on another's intellectual property. You, when you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and guard against trademark infringement, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. The law office of Nancy K. Ducharme is there to help you with your advertising copy review. Get in touch with Nancy today by visiting nkdlaw.com. Our second sponsor announcement today comes from Mary Erlane. Mary Erlane works to help professionals who learn the skill of connecting the dots and removing barriers. On March 15, 2011, from 8 to 9.30 a.m., Mary will conduct a hands-on leadership for women workshop and for women rainmakers and leaders in business. This event will be held in the large boardroom here at ALR PRA Incorporated at 35 East Wacker Drive, and we are also sponsoring your registration freeze, making this a free event. So come by and enjoy a light breakfast and enjoy this pragmatic and acclaimed executive leadership workshop. Space is limited, so please register today by emailing nick at alrpra.com. Again, N-I-C-K at alrpra.com with women rainmakers and business leaders in the subject line so that you can reserve your complimentary seat at this workshop. Again, ALRPRA is a Chambers Business Suites tenant, and we always thank Chambers for co-sponsoring this event. Back now to our Law Talk Radio program, we do encourage listeners to call in with questions by dialing area code 917-889-9732, pressing option 1 to be placed on the queue. Uh, and we also can take our call caller's questions through email, nick at alrpra.com, or through our contact page at alrpra.com. Now, moving back to, into our programming, um, I do see a caller on the line, and I want to take a, a brief uh, comment from a caller and then uh, move into uh, the, the concept of stuck in the home, as many of us see on the hoarding programs, uh, and then go forward. So we'll take a caller, and let me bring the caller live. Caller, go ahead. Hello? Go ahead. You're on the air. Well, I wanted to call in and uh, make a couple of comments with regard to the entire hoarding concept. 
and uh, make those concepts or, or make those uh, comments germane, I think, to reality as opposed to some of the the, the, the virtual creationism that's going on in the medical field for years now. Uh, first of all, I'd like to just throw an allopathic uh, example out there. Uh, when they started to diagnose something called myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is commonly known as chronic fatigue syndrome and another related condition, uh, fibromyalgia, uh, just about every third person who had a, a tiny bit of uh, this or that uh, was, was sure they were in line for treatment for those two illnesses. Uh, soon an entire business created uh, itself uh, in line with those illnesses. And in reality, uh, this has quite a parallel to this, this whole hoarding thing because, first of all, uh, the, what was going on was they did identify an actual illness. Eventually they set parameters, and they were fairly distinct parameters for both of those conditions. The reality of it is not that many people have it. And uh, yet <clears throat> every second housewife was out there feeling as though she needed to be treated for it and so on, and every every program had it on, and my God, it was just ridiculous. <clears throat> Unfortunately, it continues to this day because of the, the start that it got. And we're seeing the same thing with this hoarding behavior. Human beings as a species have collected things since their very inception. It's what human humans did. It was one of the, the natural behaviors they had. They collected things that interested them and put them in a place where they were their own. Uh, the actual what they you know what they're calling a, a pathological hoarding behavior, I have to suspect is a very very tiny minority. And yet we're seeing, as especially with the whole animal thing, uh, the the number of people who uh, I, will, I will restrict my comments to the polite here, but who have been involved with uh, these, these animal rights groups and these radical groups and so on, uh, are out there creating a, a problem, creating situations that don't exist, and, and you know, making statements like, uh, "Well, anyone who has more than 14 animals is obviously a hoarder." Let's get um, some. Let's get some feedback, if we could. Um, that's a very interesting comment to bring up. And uh, Dr. Walfish, can you respond to some of the some of these comments? Yes. Absolutely, caller. I'm sorry I didn't catch your first name. What is your first name? John. John. First, I want to thank you so much for calling in, and I couldn't agree with you more. I really, really echo your sentiments about overdiagnosing, and I feel the same way, frankly, about a, a whole range of diagnosis diagnoses. There is over-sensationalizing, number one, I hate saying it, but, uh, you know, all businesses are driven by the dollar, and a lot of pharmaceutical companies are jumping on the wagon as an opportunity to medicate. So there's an opportunity to earn money, and you're absolutely right. Every human being is an individual and needs to be looked at and treated individually and very specifically, and um, I'm not a pill pusher at all. As a matter of fact, my uh, degree is in the field of clinical psychology. I'm not an MD, so I don't even prescribe, and medication is, for me, my last choice of treatment. Um, I agree with you that probably only a small percentage of people would fall under the diagnosis of a significant, extreme, or severe case. 
However, uh, I can tell you I have personal experience with some animal hoarders, and they are the loveliest. My sister's probably going to slap me on the bottom, but she's one. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's a complicated thing. She's got a very high-class job, and she's clean and neat and a perfect dresser, and no one would ever suspect it. So um, all I can say is I agree. I think it's dangerous to categorize, to generalize, or judge anyone, and we have to really be very sensitive, exquisitely sensitive in looking at each individual. Oh, that is a perfect time to transition, and I thank you, caller, and I thank you, Dr. Walfish, for the response. And now I'm going to ask Corey. Corey, when you come into a situation and it's a hoarding program, have the people that you've talked to who are, for lack of a better term, and as so many of us here, stuck in their home, uh, have they already seen a therapist? Have they been uh, diagnosed uh, with a hoarding behavior or obsessive-compulsive disorder, or, or is that not even information that you are a recipient of? Well, not necessarily um, all of the people that we see are in are in therapy. You know, obviously since the show came out and a lot of media coverage and stuff has been given to hoarding, people are starting to get uh, help, which they, which they desperately need. Um, but throughout the years, you know, therapists, no one, no one was trained in hoarding. You know, they thought it was just this pack rat disorder and maybe they um, put it in with OCD and stuff, but no one ever sought therapy for it. It's very rare for uh, any elderly person that we deal with um, to want to go to therapy, so they're very difficult to work with. And we really have stopped working with people unless they're willing to get therapy or they've already begun therapy because it's pointless for us to come in, help them go through everything in their house, and even 100% clean their house because it's just going to end up back in the same condition if they don't get this disorder um, under wraps. And it's not something that's ever going to go away, just like most psychological disorders. You'll always have some tendencies but you can live with it and you can manage it through therapy and sometimes medication. You can live with it and live a functional life. So tell me a little bit more in detail, Corey, what it is that you do uh, to help uh, within the hoarding uh, arena. Sure. Well, the main focus for us is to make the home functional again. We don't care if the house is beautiful. We just want it to be functional and safe for the resident and or the family to live in. So our goal is to go in and find anything that's valuable, anything that's sentimental, all the important bills, paperwork, statements, documents, photographs, and then all the normal functioning household items like your house has, my house has. You know, those are the items that need to stay. All the rest of the stuff, we need to somehow develop a program with them where they're willing to let go, whether that's recycle, donate, or discard it. Yeah, Corey, it's funny when we uh, first chatted. I, uh, you know, and not to, you know, it'd, it'd be too light about this, but I said that we should uh, match the hoarders people with the pickers show, <laughs> so that we, as we get rid of uh, some of the things that they can go to a new home. But uh, you know, it's, again, it's very clear that. This has been uh, a so the label hoarders has been attached to many people. Corey, what type of uh, training or what instruction do you get um, from the people on your show as to um, you know again you you say that you don't work with people unless they're uh, looking at mental health professionals or seeking help or treatment. But um, what are there other sensitivity components that uh, are your instructions? Well. That, my biggest thing is that they're is that they're getting therapy, and that's one of the biggest problems with the TV show um, is that these people are being thrown into this. A whole team of people are coming out and going through this stuff, 
they haven't had an ounce of therapy for the most part to deal with this or even to prepare them. And that's why a lot of the show's customers result in failure because um, they're not prepared. They are given aftercare, but it's kind of putting it, you know, after the fact, and, and they really need to get it before. But that's not an option. I understand that. They, they like the drama on there, and they like people to see the true disorder in its raw nature um, before the person is getting treatment. So I understand that. Well, um, but and I just think, it, it, well, it, you know, and, and I, I want to also highlight that you know the where, what where we are, what box we're, and I mean we're in the entertainment box when we're talking to Dr. Walfish on treatment and help. We're in a, a clinical box in therapy and mental health, but with uh, with entertainment, and people need to people should I suppose understand that there is more going on in the scenes. But those passively watching the show or flipping through in commercials and finding it don't necessarily see that. So it does sort of appear to be sort of an ambush and. Uh, I just I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how to further educate um, people about what goes on behind the scenes. Well, that's why I run, you know, I do a couple blog things, and I go on the A and E program. They have a blog today after that people can talk to the hosts and the cleanup people and the doctors on the show. And a lot of people do have those questions, and we try to tell people, listen, this is a show and this is not how I would do things in normal life. If I went to your house to clean it tomorrow, I would not do what I do on the show. It's a totally different atmosphere, and sometimes those are the worst of the worst. You know, that's why they pick them. They get thousands of submissions to be on that show. So, of course, they want the most dramatic, the one that's going to bring in the most ratings, and it might not be, you know, the most politically correct one, but it's what they choose, and that's what we have to work with. And it's very difficult sometimes to work with these people because they're so not ready um, mentally, you know, they're just not there. Sure, sure, but, sure. So. Let me ask. Let me ask uh, now to uh, Doctor Doctor Walfish. What's your impression? Uh, quickly before we go to our, our halfway break, um, your impression on people witnessing and observing behaviors through several media outlets. Um, you know, what's a common when we see these things? What do you, in your professional experience, how do people receive uh, shows like that? Information like that? Do you get feedback? Um, is your question people who are not hoarders and what they think when they yes. see yes. these shows? Um, I think it's it's great entertainment. I'm not really certain why, but people love to watch it as entertainment. Um, and uh, there are many, many people that judge others, just like um, your caller, John, earlier was alerting us against um it's it's so easy for people to categorize and generalize and judge others but i think and i try to help everyone who talks to me about it have great empathy for the person who is struggling i think corey is is addressing a very interesting point, and that is that people have to be ready to make change. In other words, you can't uh, ambush someone on a television show or even in therapy. The, the lucky break that I get is people call me for help. I don't reach out to them. They make the first call. So right away that sets the tone for hoping to make change. But I can tell you a lot of people think they want to get better and think they want to change when, in fact, they really don't want to do the work. And it's yeah. painful. 
It's yeah. painful to take that hard look within. That's why Corey's point of psychotherapy is so helpful because it helps to hold the hand of a non-judgmental person, a professional who's been there who can take you and lead you along the way. Thank you so much for those insightful comments, Dr. Walfish. It's very true, and I think, um, and we'll be back after a short break, but John, your comments as a caller. Corey, your comment. This is uh, what we are doing today is we're taking, again, an objective look at what is hoarding, uh, what's going on in the media, what's going on in law, and how can we as responsible citizens learn what we should learn and so we can take an objective uh, look at this situation and phenomenon that has, again, where... Uh, where a lot of the networks have put this on the radar of many people, I think there's also a certain level of responsibility that we need to take as citizens to uh, understand and appreciate these behaviors and be very sensitive to not um, inappropriately uh, call people hoarders. And I'm, I'm looking around in my office. I have a tremendous amount of business cards, so maybe I'm a business card hoarder. And I can't necessarily let them go because sometimes I think that what happens if the Internet or electronics fail us, I can now find those, that information. So, again, um, I know a lot of people have large libraries and books, and so there's, it just seems like a whole potential for misdiagnosis and mis appropriately labeling people. So we're going to hop to a commercial uh, break, and at the half point in our show, we bring you the daily legal news. And today's daily legal news comes from the AmLaw Daily. The title of today's uh, information is Latest Chapter, Kazowitz on Hand as Borders begins Chapter 11. That's right. Many of us love the Borders bookstore, but they are entering bankruptcy protection. This article was posted by Brian Baxter, and quote, following nearly two years of ongoing restructuring efforts, Borders Group finally filed for bankruptcy on Wednesday, and, it's, and, and for its help in Chapter 11 reorganization efforts, the nation's second largest book retailer has turned to Kazowitz, Benson, Taurus, and Friedman. Borders has announced that it will reduce staff and close about 200 underperforming stores, including one location near to the AMLA Daily. Uh, and then in parentheses, you can click for a full list of Borders closing on the AMLA Daily website. Uh, further, the Wall Street Journal first reported last month on Borders' decision to retain Kazowitz, Benson, to negotiate with leaders in an ultimately unsuccessful effort to stay out of bankruptcy court. The AMLAW Daily followed up on that report by noting that founder Mark Kazowitz has ties to Borders CEO Bennett Labau, a tobacco executive hired by Kazowitz Benson for its litigation work in the 90s, and likely helped the firm land the Ann Arbor, Michigan-based booksellers restructuring work. For more information about this story, please visit the AMLAW Daily by Google searching AMLAW Daily to find your daily legal news on things affecting us internationally, domestically. Um, the AMLA Daily is a wonderful source of news. Our fourth commercial sponsor today is Get Clients Now, Jim Thompson of the Get Clients Now program. Are you a solo practitioner or do you work in a small law firm and want to get clients now? If this sounds like you, he's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you should talk to. Again, his name is Jim Thompson, not the former governor of Illinois, but a, tri lawyer, a trial lawyer, and his program is called Get clients now, and they take crucial steps in helping you increase your firm's revenue by employing various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is a monthly recurring guest on our Law Talk Radio programs every first Thursday of the month, and again, as I stated, after having a full, fulfilled career as a trial lawyer, Jim Thompson now focuses on helping young attorneys and attorneys in transition get more clients. So you can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. 
Now back to our program, and we'd like to remind our listeners to please share our broadcast links within your social networks. Again, many of the people do find our shows on their friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. We thank you for all your support in sharing our programming and ask you to share these shows with people you think might find them of great value. Now back to our program, we're going to talk a little bit about animal hoarding, and I'm going to leave it up to our panelists to see who wants to take this one first. <laughs> the topic? Oh, I, I pet have... Animal uh, and pet hoarding. I pet have a it, comment yeah. about it, and then I turn to you, Corey. This is Dr. Fran. Um, my comment is uh, I... I have observed, and this is going to sound dangerously categorizing, so I'm qualifying my statement by saying, please forgive me, listeners, and I invite you to disagree if I'm wrong about this. But the animal hoarders that I have uh, met and talked to seem to prefer animals to children and or people. They just relate to and adore and love animals. And they think of them not as pets, but as their children, extended family. And if you think about the metaphor that I explained earlier about pacifiers and the how um, having something that offer us offers us self-soothing immediately available and close to us, it's one step further with a living pet or animal. And that's what I've observed. So it's just one step further. And I can tell you that, um, you know, all of us know animals and pets have a shorter lifespan than humans. And when it comes time for an animal to uh, either pass away or um, have to be put to sleep because the animal is suffering, it is a devastating experience for the owner, for the individual. Very devastating, like losing a family member. Corey, any, any thoughts to add to no, it? No, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, every animal case that we go on, um, the animals are their family. They, they usually are their children. They have names for them all. It doesn't matter if there's a hundred of them. They will be able to pinpoint each animal and tell you what they like about that one, dislike about that one. They are usually um, socially awkward. I'll even go as far as to say that. They do not fit in in normal environments like you and I, and that's why they choose to be reclusive and have animals as friends and family. They don't leave the house for the most part. The only other animal order that we do see is the ones that call themselves the rescues. A lot of animal rescues um, are just people that decide they want to save, you know, all the animals from being put down, so they start a rescue group. And we've gone to so many of these houses um, that call themselves rescues, and they are just absolutely animal hoarders, um, and they have gross filth. The animals are not being taken care of. Uh, They're sick. Some of them are dead. And, again, like most animal hoarders, they don't mean harm. They don't mean anything bad. They try to take the best care of them they can, but they just get overwhelmed because of the quantity of animals that they obtain. So they mean well. They're, they're usually very nice people. Uh, they just can't say no when they're offered another pet, and so they just keep taking them in until my definition of hoarding is when you lose the functionality of the home. 
and it's very hard to pinpoint, you know, animal hoarding and say, well, you have five animals, now you're a hoarder. That's not the case. There is no black and white. So it's really, to me, when you lose the functionality of your home because of the amount of animals you have, that's when it crosses the line and you become animal hoarder. So I, I would I, I mean, say that's beautifully and empathically articulated. I totally concur. Yeah, my, my question is this. Um, and I and I do I do think and I will agree with Dr. Fran that was a very uh, wonderfully articulated description. Um, I want to ask about cons- when I was doing my research, I ran across a bit of a distinction uh, between those engaged in conservation and those engaged in pet hoarding. Uh, and I seem to see that I see pet hoarding often as a label. I don't know if it just uh, works well for uh, SEO and keywords, but I did see uh, some comments there. And I know Tufts.edu, uh, they have Tufts has a really good uh, program on hoarding. But again, a lot of the things I saw were blogs and, and general commercial things, but I did seem to uh, find a, a demarcation among uh, pet hoarders and cat ladies, for lack of a better word, and some individuals who are engaged in uh, some conservation practices. Have either of you also seen uh, anything like that, and is there uh, an articulable distinction? Um, Nick, could you do me a favor and define conservation? How is it different? Um, What I was seeing in my research uh, in the area of conservation, it was more research into species and uh, endangered species. Ah, ah, I see. I've done a few of those. We had a a lion rescue in Colton several years ago that we were hired by the city to clean, and that's probably a good example of that. They would get all the animal, uh, retired animal actors that were lions, tigers, panthers, and they had this... I, I, I'm not sure if I'm even following your question, really. Are you saying is there a difference between animal hoarding and regular hoarding, and animal hoarders don't like to be classified as regular hoarders? Oh, no, it's more that um, some of the research I was seeing, there were species of um, birds, for example, um, and they were different endangered uh, tropical bird species, and the the individuals who were keeping those were, uh, you know, de- they were continuing doing scientific research on the species. So more science and research, but what otherwise oh. may look as like hoarding. So it's, it's, it's sort of in the lines of maybe this is an improper characterization. Um, maybe it is hoarding. I'm just uh, looking for your thoughts. But I think the animal, uh, the lion, uh, the, the the lion actor, uh, that's very interesting as well. Yeah, I haven't seen anything as hard like exotic birds or anything like that. I've seen pretty much all kinds of birds and all kinds of animal orders, every species pretty much, but as far as, you know, for doing scientific research and stuff, I've never come across that. Dr. Fran? I haven't seen it either. I'm sorry. I wish I could comment, but I haven't seen that. Haha, I have stumped you both. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Um, some of my, some of my, my other notes, um, you know, I was also looking at uh, cases in the law. Kim, can I ask you a little bit about your experience of, of hoarding now entering the legal arena? Um, again, in my practice, I have not had that experience in the area of hoarding. Have you had that, Corey? Well, I'm obviously not an expert in law, so I'm not sure how far I can help you with any of the questions you have, but you're, I mean, feel free to ask. 
Um, just that I've seen a few uh, cases where – actually, there was one uh, I'm actually aware of in, in Illinois where what I – here's what was, to, was ex- explained to me was that um, – Certain neighbors wanted a property, and in order to get the property condemned, they worked with animal rescue. And the, the woman, I believe, had several uh, animals in uh, in her care. And I, I don't know actual that many details about it, but it looked like people were the the neighbors who wanted the property used animal hoarding as a, a method of getting the attention of um, the the local animal control individuals and and the police, and they ended up with a search warrant and. Uh, you know, entered the property. So under um, animal protection statutes, there just seem to be cases like this popping up all over the place. Well, sure. And and honestly, any kind of hoarding, the cities can come in and they can red tag a house and they can, you know, evict the tenants from it. Now, the, they're always given the opportunity to clean it up um, and still live there again, unless, like in that case, they're actually arrested on animal neglect, animal abuse, charges, something like that, and then they're put in jail. But the legal system, I mean, you ask the code enforcement officer about hoarding and what that does to their workload, and they'll say, well, hoarding is 5% of our cases, but 75% of our caseload. So hoarding affects the legal system and the cities and stuff greatly. You know, the amount of money that's spent fighting this is huge. It certainly is, and I'm going to ask you two both after our last break what we can do as listening as listeners in the audience to learn more about uh, hoarding, learn more about these cases. You know, as cases are coming up again, um, hoarding is is popping up in the media, not only in in shows where you're helping, uh, like your show, Corey, but also in cases where we see police um, seizing properties. Um, and you know, this case in Tinley Park uh, here in the suburb in the Chicago suburbs. Um, there's another where it just recently happened. So it's been in the news. It's been very timely. So I'm going to ask you both for your con- comments on on how to be, uh, you know, use critical and objective thought to be most informed on uh, what is and what is not hoarding. So I will be right back uh, with you both after our short break. And I will remind our law- listeners out there that you are listening to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Of course, we always appre- you appreciate your comments questions and concerns. Uh, if you ever have a question about a show for follow-up, something that wasn't addressed, or maybe you have a suggestion for a follow-up show or a follow-up guest, we certainly take your programming advice. Now we want to bring you some law practice management resources for our attorney audience out there. Your law practice management resources today come from three areas. First, the ABA Publishing Department. Second, from Law Bulletin Publishing Company. And third, ALRPRA Practice Management Services. First to ABA Publishing, we want to let you know again, and we brought this to you uh, earlier. But it's the twenty, it's the 2010 edition of the Model Rules of Professional Conduct. It's very important. It will help you provide provide you with an up to date resource on information on legal ethics. The rules, with some variations, are adopted in most jurisdictions. Federal, state, and local courts in all jurisdictions look to the rules for guidance in resolving lawyer malpractice cases, disciplinary actions, disqualification issues sanctions, questions, and much more. So again, the ababooks.org is the site. ABA Publishing has many helpful titles for anyone in practice. Second, from the Law Bulletin Publishing Company, when you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and the Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you will receive up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois. 
Also, check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. I am one of the weekly advice columnists published on the Attorneys in Transition site, and I hope you visit and leave your comment at attorneysintransition.com. Finally, ALRPRA's practice management services are available. Whether you're a young attorney starting solo on your own or coming from a larger law firm, hang out your shingle. Our consulting, webinar, and hands-on desk reference materials are available for law firm management, marketing, technology, and finance. These acclaimed service options are great for attorneys in transition and, again, entering solo practice. Please visit our school page at our website, ALRPRA.com, for more information. And our final commercial, it comes from George Finder, credit damage expert. This is interesting. Your credit score and reputation are valuable assets. If you suffer damage to your credit score, you should consider your damages. Credit damage expert is an expert, credit damage expert, sorry, George Finder, George Finder is his name. He's an expert who can put a dollar amount on damage to your credit score. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. By learning how to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff can learn how to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Available nationwide, credit damage expert George Finder is available for consulting, and his website, creditdamageexpert.com, has more information, including an instructional video, where you can learn more about George Finder and his expert services. Again, any of our callers uh, want to call in for the last segment, it's 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the caller queue. Again, please submit comments through uh, the comment section at ALRPRA.com, and if you want more on our shows and programming, you can also visit our Law Talk radio page on Facebook. Go to Facebook and use the search bar at the top of the Facebook page and just search for Law Talk Radio. Now back to our show. We want to uh, round out by talking a little more about critical thought and how we can all be well-educated about hoarding so that we don't mislabel people as hoarders um, if they're not clinically diagnosed. It just seems to me that's something that can be so dangerous. As I said, I'm sorry, I muted myself accidentally. That uh, I was saying that uh, inappropriately labeling people as hoarders without professional diagnosis is a is a big challenge and concern. Uh, Dr. Fran, can can I ask you to comment on that? Absolutely. I think that step number one is all of us have to be willing to be curious about ourselves with an open mind and an open eye. And we need to recognize that none of us are perfect beings and to not judge or be quick to rush to judgment about anybody else. That's point one. Number two, if you have a friend or a family member that is, uh, let's say, uh, an a quantitative collector of things, and you suspect they may be a hoarder. It's going to be very challenging for you to stand by silently and watch. You might want to get involved and, you know, offer help or suggestions. So point number one, be very alert and beware that people who truly are hoarders 
are very, very well and solidly defended. What that means is they've created a wall, a sturdy steel wall, to protect themselves against outsiders and intruders like you and I coming in and telling them what to do, meaning how to clean up their act. Now, if you think someone's a collector and maybe not a hoarder, um, you can offer the um, gesture of would it be, what would be helpful to you? Is it helpful to allow uh, this to continue or would it be useful to you if I came over and helped you organize things so that we do what Corey suggested, recycle, donate, or discard? And you will see very quickly if that individual is open to you coming in and, and joining the process. If it's truly someone who is really obsessively organized and will not allow you in, then you know it's not going to be so easy to change without professional help. And all you can do is offer the help. Someone has to want to change and want to be taking the hand you extend. Um, if I could just echo what Corey said earlier, and that is there is the depression aspect that usually accompanies this hoarding or collecting, and that is um, it's very hard to know what came first, the chicken or the egg, because if you live in an excessively cluttered environment where you may know where everything is, but it takes you a few minutes or, or an hour to go through the pile and find it, uh, that can be a depressing thing, too. It would certainly be depressing to me. And I know that once in a while when I clean up and reorganize my living space, I feel an uplift, a surge. So um, I do think that uh, um, there are ways that the observer can look and see if someone wants help or not. Thank you for the very good comment. And again, I think that's great advice. Can you recap th uh, three or four main points just to drive home the point? Yes. Don't judge others. Look at yourself before you categorize and judge others. Offer yourself up as a work partner to see if somebody wants your help. And if they do not, You've got to accept people as they are, love them and accept them for who they are without judgment. Very good advice. Now, we do have to say goodbye to Dr. Fran, who has appointments waiting for her. And, Dr. Fran, thank you so much for being on our show today. And I also want to ask, give you the opportunity now to uh, give some contact information, then we'll talk to Corey again. Um, but if you could give us some contact information for people who want to be in touch, go ahead. Absolutely. My website is www.drfranwallfish.com. That's D-R-F-R-A-N-W-A-L-F-I-S-H.com. My book, The Self-Aware Parent, is available 
on Amazon.com and in all local bookstores. And I really want to thank you, both of you, Nick and Corey. It's been my total pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Doctor. Great talking with you. Thanks for being on the show. Next time I'm in Beverly Hills, we'll have lunch. Sounds great. That okay. sounds just great. Have you a nice too, day. Corey. Okay. Uh, bye. You got it. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. What a wonderful uh, contribution there, and such great points. Corey, did you want to follow up on uh, any of the points? And then we do have a, a caller here uh, on the line. I'm not sure if there's a question or we have a caller just listening, but did you want to follow up, Corey, on any of the uh, her points? Well, really, the most important thing is we get a lot of calls. I mean, every day we get calls from family members and friends uh, wanting us to come out and clean their loved one's house. And obviously we can't do that. We can't just go into a, a person's house and take all their stuff out. So, you know, they need to approach it however they think is best. We don't know the personalities involved. We don't know how they're going to take it. Most of the, most orders that don't want help are just going to get defensive, and you're just going to ruin the relationship that much more. So we always encourage people to walk lightly on that one. Um, you know, approach it however you think is best, but if they don't want help, you're just going to have to let it go. Don't report them to a city. Don't turn them in unless there's an absolute danger where you think they are going to die or be seriously injured. I encourage people to watch the movie or at least the trailer to the movie called My Mother's Garden, and that's by Cynthia Lester. She's just a person like you and me in L.A. who cleaned out her mother's home uh, who didn't want her home cleaned out, and it just shows the effects of that and what can happen uh, when you do force someone to go clean out. So that's really the only thing that I wanted to make sure that I got in today. What's that? What's that? Uh, what's that movie again? Give us that title again. And they, we have a question from some a family law attorney just texted me, but give me that title again. Sure, it's My Mother's Garden. My Mother's Garden. Into, type it into Google, and you can even add the word hoarding or something to narrow it down. But you'll be able to see that on there, and it's about a seven-minute trailer to the actual movie, and and you'll get the gist of it. It's good. So I like I like that. Don't run to your local authorities and turn in the people you think have too many things. I mean, my God, if someone turns me in for hoarding business cards, I'm in trouble. Caller, go ahead. A family law attorney here in Illinois has a question. Hi, this is Melanie Bayana. I'm a domestic relations attorney here in Chicago, and I really received a wealth of information from, from both of the panelists today. And my question is this. I often see, both in my practice and among you know, friends and family, where based on what you've told me today, there are significant hoarding behaviors that not only affect the marriage but the children. And what I've heard today is that they don't always seek help, they can get defensive, and it can be a marriage and family breaker. So the question becomes, um, if they're resistant to treatment and if they're sensitive and, and intransigent, how does the other spouse or the children, you know, how, how do they cope and what, what would you recommend so that they're not ending up in a lawyer's office filing for divorce? Right. It's a good question, Melanie, and unfortunately we see this so often in the cases that we get called into where there are families involved, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to the exact same thing just as any other case. Until they want to get help and they want to change, they're not going to, and you guys are the ones that are going to have to make the decision if you can live this way or not. Maybe you can figure out a way to have, you know, your parts of the residence clean and clutter-free while he has his residence you know, or his room in a residence that he can do what he wants with. I've seen houses like that. It can happen. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be pulling your hair out. He's going to be frustrated. You're going to be frustrated. And even more scary, the kids can grow up with that um, that trait, and they can become hoarders themselves. 
you know, it's, it's shown to be genetic both, uh, it could be chemically, the abnormality in the frontal lobe of the brain, but it can also be a very learned behavior that children can take on with them and do the exact same thing when they're older. Thank you for answering that question. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much, caller. Now, thank you also to all of our callers and listeners. Thank you again uh, to Corey for being on the show today, Corey. And we are going to have um, some follow-ups here. We have a tremendous amount of interest we've received um, when in promoting this show. So, Corey, if you're available, um, I might ask you to uh, call in again um, as a guest down the road if you're available. Yeah, I would be happy to. Wonderful. Well, we're going to continue exploring hoarding, but in the meantime, we want to thank all of our listeners to tuning in to uh, the Lawyer's Toolbox on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. Uh, we'll give you today's sponsors, but first, uh, I'm sorry, how rude of me. Corey, can you give us some information on how people can get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. There's a few ways. We can first be reached by telephone. Our toll-free number is 888-577-7206. We also have our website, which he said earlier, www.stera, like sterilized, so that's S-T-E-R-E, sorry, S-T-E-R-I hyphen clean.com, or the easier one that's nationwide is hoardingcleanup.com, and that's where we have a blog every Sunday. People are welcome to join into a live uh, chat session, and we just talk about issues, concerns, answer questions, and that's uh, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 5 o'clock Pacific at hoardingcleanup.com. Wonderful. And feel free to drop a link promoting that on our Law Talk Radio page uh, um, on Facebook because that will be a good thing as well. Yeah, I sure will. Yeah. Okay, so back to our sponsors. I want to thank first Nancy K. Ducharme of the Law Offices of Nancy K. Ducharme. I want to thank Mary Erlaine of Peak Marketing and Sales and LMI Riverside. I want to thank Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group and the Get Clients Now program. As well, I want to thank credit damage expert George Finder. Again, we have some great upcoming shows. Please visit our website for more information. Again, this, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice and results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. This programming is politically neutral and objective. Counterpoints to views are always welcome. ALRPRA does not endorse necessarily all the opinions expressed by guests and callers. Finally, all callers do remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. These Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed so that we can bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal service and just be generally conscious of social issues. With guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time.